anointed podcast. Welcome to week three of Nehemiah. Um, the title of tonight is Remember, everyone say Remember, the Lord who is great and awesome. And I've subtitled it From Rubble to Revival. Anybody want to go From Rubble to Revival? Amen. Amen. So the verse that if you didn't catch our reading before the service that we always do, you're listening by podcast. But it so happened when Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall that he was furious and very indignant, and he mocked the Jews. And he spoke before his brethren. It'd be bad enough if he just said it, but he said it in front of other people. Can I get an amen? And before the army of Samaria and said, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they fortify themselves? Will they offer sacrifices Will they complete it in a day? Will they revive the stones from the heaps of rubbish, stones that are burned? Nehemiah 4 and 1. Let's pray. Father, we come into your presence tonight in the name of Jesus. We welcome you, Holy Spirit. Jesus is the head of this church, but this is your room. Come, Holy Spirit, speak to us. Speak directly to our hearts. Say things that even I do not say to your children tonight, but speak to them, Lord, and let us learn of you and again, tonight, as we look at Nehemiah, I am aware, Father, of my brothers and sisters in Ukraine tonight who are living this out in the book of Nehemiah. Strengthen them, Lord. Send your angels. Let us continue to hear glorious reports. And don't let us take, Lord, for advantage, God, or for granted what you have given us here. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. Number one, the enemy always forms questions to discourage you, to make you feel insecure, about your place and your part in the restoration work or the restorative work that God is doing in you and through you. God is doing a work in you, and he's doing a work through you. Can you say amen? The thing about Senballat and Tobiah as we journey on, they're the ones that don't want this to happen. You will always have an enemy against a vision. A vision could be you getting your finances together, you paying your bills, um, becoming healthy, getting a better job, just wanting to have significance in the earth and wanting to know that your life matters. That's the work. I want you to say that's the work he is doing in me and through me. Amen. And so here comes Sanballat. And he spoke before others. It would have been bad enough again if he had said it about behind Nehemiah's back, which he did. But he was speaking gossip. Sanballat did not want the enemy, uh, who he considered to be the Jews, to build up their city. So does your enemy not want you to build your life up, to get strong in the Lord. Amen? To feel powerful. And this is the questions, and this was the target of the questions. Track with me. It's in your verse, but I've got it written down here a different way. What are these feeble Jews doing? That question was attacking their personhood. Everyone say, my person. It was saying, I can't believe you think you can do anything. I know who you are. You are feeble. You noticed he called them feeble. Have you ever noticed that your adversary, your own fear doesn't wake you up in the night and say, oh, you mighty, mighty, mighty man, woman of God. Come on, somebody. No, when you get woke up, it brings doubts. It brings insecurities. It speaks to you. So they called them feeble. They were attacking their personhood. Are they going to restore it for themselves? That says it a different way in every translation. You're said fortify. What that means is he questions our motives, same motives. You ever going to do something for the Lord? And that voice says, you know why you're doing that. You just want to be seen. 
You just want this. You want someone to notice you or you're just doing that to get in good maybe with your boss. You know, you, you stay an extra 30 minutes and someone says, oh, yeah, we know what you're doing. Come on. What you should say is, yeah, I'm representing Jesus Christ and I'm going to stay here till my work is done. Come on, somebody. But that question will question your motives. I'm going to tell you my whole adult life and my teen years working with my parents in ministry, I've always had my motives questioned by the enemy. And I've questioned them myself. And there is a sifting there on why you're doing it. But it's the Lord Jesus Christ who sifts our motives, not our enemy, not the people that don't like us, and not our own ridiculous doubt and fear. Can I get an amen? Then they go on to say, can they offer sacrifices or will they? That was to doubt the um, veracity or I guess you would say the strength of our relationship with God. Pastor Todd in the pre-service, as we will call it, said, you know, that he knew, the enemy knew that our worship really matters. When you come in on Sunday morning or you worship at home or you're sacrificing, I've never known anybody that's done anything great for the kingdom. It's not cost them sacrifice. A lazy boy chair kind of mentality will not get you anywhere in the kingdom. There will be sacrifices. God doesn't want all of your time. He just wants a portion of your time. God doesn't want all of your money. He just wants you to give sacrificially a portion. Give the Lord a hand. Come on. Then he said, can they finish it in a day? Now, I think this makes me laugh, but I'm going to get to this in a moment. Why it hurts so bad is what the, the enemy was saying is, putting a time pressure. Have you ever noticed how the enemy will make you feel bad? You're not, well, I just thought I'd be farther than now. I mean, I thought I'd have a yacht, be sitting out with an iced tea, you know. I thought I would have, I had a minister friend that posted a picture of his yacht he was waiting on. Um, I won't say the name. I, it's an acquaintance. I don't know him. But anyway, I thought, wow, that's cool. I didn't feel bad. I thought, that's cool. Um, but, you know, here's the thing. He'll put a time pressure on us. You should be farther than this. You can't tell people they should be farther than this. If Pastor Hank was here, he'd preach you his sermon on how many people like Caleb didn't even get his mountain until he was 80. Come on, somebody. He would tell you about um, Colonel Sanders, who didn't even invent chicken. Well, he didn't invent fried chicken um, and, until he was like 65. Look at your neighbor and say, don't get on the enemy's timetable. Because I think what that question does, it's, it's, it's uh, aimed or targeted at you to make you feel bad about where you are. You should be father. You should be doing more. You, you, you've been forgotten. This is just your life. Then he goes on to say, can they revive the stones from the rubble? We'll get to that. Then it goes, even if what they're doing, if it lasts, if a fox jumps on it, it will tear it down. That was what the enemy was saying. Nothing will last and nothing will matter. Anybody ever heard that before? Oh, what you're doing is nothing. I remember when I first started ministry, it seemed like God would put me next to people when they were telling what was going on, you know, they like got 7,000 people saved last night at a coffee house. And I'm like, I am doing nothing. You know what I mean? And then the next day, and I did this and I did that. And I would tell the Lord, Lord, the way they're telling. He goes, they may just be good storytellers, but don't compare yourself to what others are doing. Don't force an impossible time frame. Don't cause insecurity in yourself by thinking I should be doing this or that. I could bring in volumes of autobiographies of great godly people that did not even tap into what God had until they were way above the senior citizen discount. Someone give the Lord a hand clap of praise. So that second guessing yourself, you know, all of a sudden you hear those questions formed by the enemy. And Israel said, 
Maybe they're right. Maybe it's impossible. Maybe I don't have what it takes. Maybe I'm wasting my time. The stirring up of division was pretty powerful. Let me give you number two. In a high-stake, emotionally charged environment, Nehemiah's immediate response was to move from accusation right into killing his enemies. Striking back. No, it's prayer. <laughs> it's prayer. Everybody's like, yeah, go Nehemiah. <laughs> go Nehemiah. Don't you love that? That's what he really wanted to do. You know he did in his flesh. Um, between one and two, a very um, important point that I've said in many ways and other people have said, even smarter than me, a lot smarter than me. Unfortunately, the enemy's voice usually sounds like your voice. And you have a tendency to believe yourself before you believe anyone else. So sometimes the enemy does, can't read your mind, but he listens the way you talk. And we'll throw those darts that Psalms 91 talks about. And we'll say things just in a way that you'll think you're saying it to yourself. Rhonda, you're no good. Rhonda, you're, I'll speak of myself so I don't offend you. Rhonda, nothing you do makes a difference. Rhonda, you don't, you don't matter. You can never do that. You don't amount to anything. And it starts to sound like my voice. And because I'm geared to listen to my own voice, because I'm inside my own head. Anybody inside your own head? And then, because you ain't in my head and I'm not in yours, but you are, say I am. And so that voice begins to speak inside. This is what happened. Track with me. Tobiah an Ammonite was at Sinbalat's side. This little posse started with Sinbalat, but then Tobiah was affected by the negative talk. When whatever they build, if a fox goes on it, he'll break down. Tobiah starts getting into it. Why? Because Sinbalat was angry at Nehemiah, and he starts trash talking. Everyone say trash talking. He ridicules Nehemiah, and he gets Tobiah in acquired offense. You ever gotten acquired offense? Your friend's offended at your boss. You're not offended at your boss. Your boss has been good to you. But your friend gets offended, so you acquire the offense of your friend, even though you've known your boss to be a great person. Um, Pastor Hank and I learned in pastoring when people said things to us about others, we thought, well, that's not the way we've ever known them to be, ever. And we're going to go what we know. Come on, somebody. But Tobiah is one of those friends you should not keep. He should have said to send ballot, you shouldn't be talking that way. He shouldn't have jumped in on his dysfunction. He should have said, you know what? Send ballot, you're off the scale. And when you and I do not say to our friends, our peers, or whatever, you know what? You've gone too far. You've gone too far. We align ourselves with their dysfunction, then we pick up their dysfunction. Here's what was going on. The enemy was exaggerating. Everyone say exaggerating. The walls of Nehemiah were discovered in archaeological excavation. They were nine feet wide. No fox could knock down a wall. Come on, somebody. I don't even know if an elephant, maybe, could bring down, but a fox couldn't. Everyone say a fox can't. But here's the deal. When accusations are hurled to you by the enemy, through maybe someone else or in your own mind, it doesn't have to make sense, does it? But you can look back, but the moment it hits you, you engage it, and it caused such fear. It became real. Their emotions got out of whack. But Nehemiah begins to pray, and they read his prayer. He says, hear us, O God. I'm not going to read the whole thing. O God, we are despised. Um, don't even forgive them of their sins. Someone say, wow. 
But he went from attack to pray. The first thing that we need to do is to get God involved when we feel attacked in our mission, in our life, in our purpose. I can talk to Sally about it all day long. I can talk to Barbie about it all day long. I don't know where I'm getting these names, but they're flowing. I can talk to this person or that person all day long, but I need to get God involved. And when doubts in my mind or other people are speaking to me in the workplace or in my own brain, I'm being attacked or you're being attacked, I can tell friends all day long, and we've all done it. No one casts stones. Everyone say, no stones in my pocket. It's psychological warfare, and your friend, it's godly to talk to a godly friend or a pastor or someone, but we need to get God involved because the chatter has got to stop. We must do with our enemies what Nehemiah did. Watch this. He didn't, boop. He laid his enemies in the hands of Jesus. It was God, but for us it would be Jesus. Lord Jesus, and the older I've got, I've learned this. Lord Jesus, I just lay this fight in your hands, Lord. I give it to you. In some hard places of my life, through all my ministry, sometimes the Lord would say, just, I've just bowed down. And I would bow down before him. And I would say, Lord, I lift up this person that is making my life a living hell. I lift them up to you, Lord God, truly. If, if, if in my flesh, I wish you would take them in a one-person rapture. Can I get an amen? I mean, we don't sit anybody to hell, right? Just a one-person rapture. Make it two. Take two of my enemies at one time. Um, but here's the deal. I would say, Lord, I just hand them in to your hands because the Lord is sovereign. He can do more with that which comes against you. I can tell Betty, um, I'm not trying to use anybody's name in the room. I can tell Betty Crocker. I can tell Martha White. I can tell Paula Dean. Oh, I'm on a roll. Anyway, I'm going to stop right there. Um, but anyway, I can do all of that or we can get God involved. Look at your name and say, I can get God involved. See, as long as God's at the center of it, he can handle it for you. And he can take care of it. Satanic attacks are a lot like what Sanballat were doing. The weakness of our flesh is like Tobiah, who was his buddy. The circumstances and the difficulties that we have are like Gashan. But here's the thing. We have to watch ourselves, or we're like when Satan says heal, we heal. When he says anything, all of a sudden, we just stop. We get paralyzed. A, a, a great elder in the Lord told me one time, the enemy can't get in your mind, but he watches what pushes your buttons. And if he knows that fear is it, fear is coming right at you. If he knows insecurity is it, insecurity is coming. If he knows just woe is me, no one loves me, um, no one cares for me, no one sees me, he's going to make you feel that no one sees you, no one loves you, and no one cares for you. But we've got to get to the point that we use our authority we talked about last week, and we say to the enemy, I'm not going to heal like some dog on the greenway when you say to heal. I'm not going to bow down when you say to bow down. I'm going to take my authority, go to the throne room, come back with the authority from the king, and I'm going to state, I belong to Jesus Christ. His blood has cleansed me and raised me up. Somebody give him a hand clap of praise because that voice says, she's never coming home. He's not going to become a Christian. You're never going to have the resources to do what you want to do in your life. You're going to live poor your whole life. Nobody's going to go for that idea, that stupid idea you have. 
That's the idea the enemy told me when I came up with Queen for a day. Nobody's going to go for that. They not only went for that through many years of trials and tribulations, but it's grown to help hundreds and hundreds of women. That, that's it. And even we came here to this church. I remember um, at first time we came to this church or before we came on this property, we were meeting at the, uh, the hotel. And I remember crying because Pastor Hank decided that we would have a breakfast buffet. And so we had a buffet, and then we worshiped together. It was at the old chalet. And I remember just thinking, this is never going to work. People don't want to eat breakfast. People want to eat a Sunday lunch. Come on, somebody. They don't want to do this. I remember Pastor looked at me, Rhonda, that's just because we're at the chalet. We're not going to eternally have a breakfast buffet. Give the Lord a hand clap that we do not have. <coughs> I need some water. Yeah, that was faster than I could ask for. Come on. Yeah. She's got that too. But we have to remember that we've got to get God involved against our adversaries. In this moment, Nehemiah did not resort to, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. But what he said to God was, God, this is big. This is really big. I need your intervention. Lord, you say that your name is a strong tower and the righteous run into it and are safe. Amen. You said that you are near to the brokenhearted. I need you to raise up my crushed spirit. You see, Nehemiah began to say and tell the Lord everything that was going on. You see, the enemy was reminding them of their weaknesses. You are feeble. Yeah, without Jesus, I am feeble. Anybody give me an amen? Without Jesus, I don't have resources. Without Jesus, I'm not going to do the right thing at the right time. Without Jesus and left to my humanity, even if you believe in evolution, you came from a monkey, it does not matter, but I came from created in the image of God. Can I get an amen? And here's what I'm going to say is, in that moment, Nehemiah was saying, you have reminded us, and you and I have to say, you might can remind me of my weaknesses, but 1 John 4 and 4 says, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. I may be weak by myself, but I don't stand by myself. I have grown to know that when I am weak, then I am strong. I have grown to know that 2 Corinthians 12, that his grace is sufficient for me. His strength is made perfect in my weakness. Someone give the Lord a hand clap of praise. And our souls are full of rubble, just like that city was full of rubbish. And it was hard to get through, and we're going to see that in a moment. We have rubbish. Everyone in this room, unforgiveness, a bad attitude. Look at your neighbor and say, she's talking about you. Some days, sometimes, anybody in here never have a bad attitude? Remember, heaven is watching you. Come on. Painful memories. We have confusion. But the thing is, what we say to the enemy is what was said in the book of Jude, that when the angel was fighting with the devil over Moses' bones, they're fighting over it. The devil wants Moses' bones. That's another message. I'll bring in my friend Perry to preach that another day because that's fantastic. But here's what I want to tell you. They're fighting over it. And the angel said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord rebuke you. And you and I have got to be those type of people when those accusations come against our vision and what we want to do in the earth, how simple it may look or how small or how big that we say, 
the Lord rebuke you. The Lord who is over my finances rebuke you. The Lord who is over my body rebuke you. The Lord who is over my mind rebuke you. Satan, the Lord rebuke you from my mind. My thoughts are the thoughts of Christ. What I often say about myself when my mind gets murky, because it often does. And I'll say out loud, I have the mind of Christ. It's a verse. And I do hold the intents and the strength and the geniuses of his mind. Because Christ in me is the hope of glory for you too. Come on. Come on. I may not be who I want to be yet, but I'm not who I used to be. Can I get an amen? Number three, only when we learn to tell the truth in prayer, no matter how unattractive the truth might be, will we enter into a genuine, intimate relationship with God. Listen, Nehemiah's prayer is pretty intense, but I want to say something to you tonight. I've said it. Pastor Hank used to say it better than me. God is big enough on your paper to hear prayers that authentic. That word. Reveal our thoughts and emotions. Emotions. Say, God is big enough. God is big enough. Listen. Listen. Don't sugarcoat it to God. Bring your R-rated words if you need to. Don't say to anybody else, go out in the field. As you know, our, uh, one of our worship leaders years ago, Kelly Goins, lost his child. Horrible trial. I was there as the baby died in Denise's arms, and I, I can never remove that myself. But I remember it just almost took him out. And pastor said to Kelly, Pastor Hank said, Go into the woods and cuss. I can't cuss at God. Yes, you can. Whatever is in you, say it to God. Get it out. Because I want to tell you something. God has been around a long time. He can handle your discouragement. Don't spiritualize it. Unload it. Someone say, unload it. And Nehemiah immediately passed on to God everything he was thinking. These people are horrible. I wish they would die. Uh, Lord, I wish they didn't live. I wish you'd take them down in a tornado. Come on, somebody. I wish you'd do it. I want you to say, God can. Handle it. Listen, he is honored. He is honored. It shows how much you trust him when you say anything to him. I don't want you to, some things I say in my brain to God because he can read my thoughts. When I want to work through something, I'll say it. Or I may talk to a trusted comrade or an elder over me. But God can handle it. I want you to say again, God can handle it. I've said this before, but on my daddy's 90th birthday, that day we had the funeral for my father-in-law. It was a horrible day. Pastor Hank, I was still fighting to, for him to be resurrected off of everything and his lack of consciousness and everything. It was just a very bad day. Went through that funeral, you know, anyway. And I, all the things I had to do because some of the family was late, et cetera. And it was fine. But at any rate, it was a horrible day. And that I left the food that we had here with all of our family, beautiful time, the Davis family. Drove by to see my daddy on his 90th birthday. When I got into his room, I lost it like a four-year-old girl. You ever done that? I mean, I was sobbing, Daddy. Daddy, I don't understand. I mean, I was just sobbing. Of course, the next thing I knew, he was sobbing. I was talking about pastor and why, Daddy? Why would God take him, Daddy? Why? And just crying. And, and my daddy is 90. You know, his, most people his age has some brain atrophy and, and is really sharp sometimes and not. But all of a sudden, he just began to worship. Blessed be the name of the Lord, oh God of our Father. I mean, he began to sing, sing, but he began to pray over me and was crying as deep as he could and just praying. And when he was done, I was like, <laughs> you're that your parents. <laughs> I said, I'm sorry, Daddy. I'm sorry, Daddy. I came here and did this on your 90th birthday, and, and, and he just hugged me, and we cried. And I said all that to say later, 
I was telling my sister about the whole thing and laughing and crying. I can't believe I did that to Daddy on his 90th birthday. And she said, sis, sis, listen to me. I'm Daddy's preaching girl, so we share the Word of God together. And uh, she said, Daddy told me it meant so much to him that you came and sat with him at Garden Plaza, assisted living, that you chose to be there and to pour your heart out to him. He said he doesn't know if there was ever a better day when he loved his daughter anymore. And my sister is like cutthroat honest, I'm going to tell you. She's not like me. I may puff it up a little bit for you, but she's going to give it straight right at you. Um, but I think it's the same way with God, don't you? God, I'm sorry I'm saying this to you. God, I shouldn't feel this way. God, these disappointments, I don't understand. God never loves you more than when you choose to unload those feelings, unload those insecurities, unload those doubts right into the presence of the one who loves you the most. Come on. Number four, Nehemiah avoided the mistake of allowing his critics to become the focus of his attention. He remained God and vision-centered. Much more I was going to say about the former thing. we got to keep going. He remembered who brought him to Jerusalem. He remembered. The Bible said, he said to them, Cheryl, remember the God who is great and awesome, which means on purpose. Everyone say on purpose. On purpose, he remembered everything God did. That whole thing we went through um, last week about the king given authority. Number five, as long as you respond to critics by evaluating your potential, you'll be tempted to give up. But you will rise with new courage when you remember who it is that has called you. The Lord who is what? The Lord who is what? The Lord who is what? Great and glorious. That was awesome. <laughs> Give yourself a hand because that was good. I think one of the favorite songs of people the last few years is kind of probably still there, but a couple years ago was, um, I will sing of the goodness of God and all my life you have been faithful. Um, such a beautiful song. It used to be my alarm in the morning, and I just switched those songs. I think in moments when those things are coming against you, you've got to remind yourself you didn't get here by yourself. Nehemiah reminded himself, we didn't get here into Israel. The, remember what the king did? Remember that he divinely orchestrated? He gave me money. I'm going to get my own house. He gave me soldiers to get here. He let me leave my job. In moments that the accuser is batting down on you, you have got to begin to rehearse what God has done for you. Begin to say it out loud. The Lord did this and the Lord did that. Because if you begin to respond to your critics like this, you're nothing, Rhonda. I am cute, I am pretty, and I am smart. I mean, let that be your self-declaration. Someone say self-declaration. I mean, you know, like the little girl in the mirror on Facebook, you are great, you are awesome, and you are powerful. And, um, and that's cool. But the devil doesn't care. Those thoughts of doubt don't care how cute and whatever. In that moment, you, it's not I am, I am, but is he is, he is, he is. He is. Because in that moment, what I'm saying is the Lord is great and awesome. I'm not here against the critic in my mind or maybe a literal critic um, a, a, against me or just the own criticism in my mind to come back with, you know, I am this and I am that. You are to acknowledge every good thing. We talked about that last week. But when you're up against criticism in your own brain, when you're up against that defeat, You've got to use more than I feel powerful because feelings are unpredictable. Can I get an amen? 
And when he saw their fear, Nehemiah, verse 14, rose and spoke to the nobles and said, Do not be afraid. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. On your paper, it said, Fath, Fath, Fath and Facts, Faith and Facts over Feelings. Everyone say, Faith and Facts over Feelings. Now, what I'm saying is the facts are a fox couldn't break the wall. They're facts. I know often we say, don't, that's facts if we get a bad di- diagnosis, but we're going to God's truth. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about literal facts. You have a house to go home tonight to. That's a fact. You have an automobile to get in with someone and ride home. Amen? So if they had not been in a moment, you ever had the enemy to convince you of something that was so stupid? A fox could never break down a night feet wide wall. Do you realize that? But they took it into themselves and were afraid because their enemy was saying it. Instead of saying, you know what? I'm not going to let my feelings dictate me. Psalms uh, 1 says, do not take counsel with the ungodly. There is nothing more ungodly than your feelings. Can I get an amen? You ever been with someone that said, I hate tacos? Well, last week you said you love tacos. Yeah, but I hate them now. Um, well, I want to go eat at Red Lobster. I hate Red Lobster. You used to love Red Lobster. Well, I don't know. It just changed. I don't like their biscuits anymore. Um, they, just, they just don't. They're just hard. I don't like them. You know, I love this, and then I hate this. Feelings are unpredictable, and that's why Psalms 1 says, don't take counsel with the ungodly. When you consult your feelings about anything like Sunday morning when I preached about when faith does not feel good, feelings will get you in the ditch every time. When you start to rise up like Nehemiah and say, boy, I don't feel like anything right now. I'm going to unload on God, and then I'm going to take action. I'm going to pray. I'm going to set boundaries. I'm going to pray. I'm going to protect my heart. I'm going to protect. I'm going to pray, and I'm going to make changes. I'm going to pray. Everyone say pray, and then I'm going to do something. And say, then I'm going to do something. And then the bottom of your paper, it says, nevertheless, I did not think this would be a comedy hour. I never know how these things are going to go. We made our prayer to God, and because of them, we set a watch against them day and night. Someone say day and night. It's like Michael was talking about when our favorite verse segment before we began the podcast, Michael was talking about how powerful it is because you don't know when an attack is coming. And the word of God right here is the biggest weapon you have. David said, I've committed your word into my heart that I may not sin against you. I've made your word my lamp and my light. I know it. I always used to call this pop-up. Everyone say pop-up. You know, now it's on Facebook and other things. But years ago, we all used emails. You remember that beautiful time of life? And you'd get all these emails, and they'd have these little pop-up things. That's the way scripture, someone say scripture. You'll hear a scripture, and you'll think, I don't know that. But when you need it, it'll pop up. You'll need it. You know, when you, when, you, when you need it, it'll come. And to use that scripture, they set a watch, always on a watch, meaning I'm not freaked out. I'm not going around with, you know, guns and swords. That day may come, but it's not today, my people. But you know, I'm not going around with all that. I'm going around being mindful that the devil is a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And often he doesn't even have to speak through anybody else. He speaks right through my own thoughts. Because number six, fear dismembers and disfigures our perspective of God, making him seem like a powerless pawn controlled by our circumstances. Pawn is a chess instrument, but that's not the the, uh, definition of pawn that I'm using in this sentence. Pawn 
is something that's used by others for their own purpose. I want to tell you something. God is never used by man for his own purpose. And fear wants to keep you so afraid. It's a serial killer. It wants to keep you by yourself so that you won't do anything for God. Someone say, no fear. Fear will come, but when it does, you have to be prepared. That's why he said, he didn't say, hey, Cheryl, Cheryl, remember what a great painter you are. Hey, Cheryl, um, re remember what a great painter you are. Hey, um, Pastor Todd, remember what a great minister of ministries you are. Hey, Misty, remember what a great everything you are. He he, he doesn't come and say that to them. He says this. No, remember the Lord. Remember the Lord who is awesome because he is in you. Remember the one that is great and mighty and stand because fear will push you back. Fear will make you think you've got to make it happen. Fear will do like that bunny out of the hat thing and put the pressure on you all the time. If you were good enough, if you were smart enough, if you had enough, if you were only better, you could do this or you could do that. I'm going to tell you something. God is a limitless God, and if he's inside of us, anything is possible that he calls us to. Come on, somebody. Anything. And it goes to say on your verse, um, right, yeah, right underneath number six. This is right out of Nehemiah 4. Then Judah, everyone say Judah. Okay, this is what's so ironic. Judah means praise. Judah is Israel. So see, Sanballat affected Tobiah. Tobiah affected the army and all the other people. Negativity is the devil's language spoken by those who have his perspective. When we speak negative and we speak it to other people and we let the negative keep rehearsing in our brain and we don't try to stop it and say, no, 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 no. What I do is say, Rhonda, 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 don't think that. I call myself Rhonda. <laughs> Rhonda, don't think that. Rhonda, don't get it into your mind because what happens is then Judah, everyone say Judah, the strength of the labors is failing. There is so much rubbish that we're not able to build that wall. You ever started a project? Name some of them. Okay, I won't put you on the spot. Cabinets, yes. I mean, have you ever merely, any woman try to clean out her closet and halfway think, Lord, just take me home right now? Because it's like 2 in the morning, and it's like that little meme with Kermit. He's laying down, what have I done, you know? Um, because it looks simple. And I think whenever you, you, you try to do something, whether it's education, get healthy, um, lose weight. I'm not, I, I'm not saying anybody should lose weight. I'm just trying to name some things. Um, save money. Get out of debt. How about that? Get out of debt. And I, we, Pastor Hank used to work people to get out of debt so much, and they'd get one thing paid off, and they thought, I'm done. <laughs> no, you've got eight more things we need to work. I'm just done. I'm, it's just too much. No, let's cut up all that. Pastor Hank loved to cut up people's credit cards and make guitar picks at them. No, let's, uh, let's cut up the rest of your... Uh, no, no, I'm done. I have sacrificed enough steaks and eaten cheese on bread. Come on, somebody. I am done. Because you start, everyone say start, and then you stop. Then you start, and then you stop. And so it becomes overwhelming. This is what happened with Israel. Listen, they were trying to rebuild the walls, rebuild their city so they could worship, so they could be protected, so they wouldn't live beneath God's glory but there was so much stopping and starting. Sometimes it just feels overwhelming. I don't know about you, 
and track with me. We're, we're doing good on time. But sometimes when the Holy Spirit is dealing with me about my hurts and habits and hang-ups, can I get an amen? I'm just like, whoa. Can we just take a pause here? And he always does it. He pause, but like, Lord, I, I feel like I get, it's like whack-a-mole. You ever feel that way? I got this done, not wanting to kill anybody. Whoop, 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 whoop. And then, and then pop up over here. Ugh. Or you snap at somebody. I mean, I could get deeper in this, but I'm trying to keep it light. And I think it's that way the rubbish just seems too much. People get in relationships with each other, and then they desert. They found out what we teach here. Everybody's normal until you get to know them. Come on. And then there's this harsh reality that we go through in premarital counseling. We try to create the worst and darker. I tried so hard to talk Pastor Todd and Misty out of marrying each other. <laughs> and I firmly, I did their counseling, and I firmly believed they were to marry each other. I firmly knew God had put them together. But our theory was if we can talk you out of it, you don't need to do it by painting it. But it's the same way with our lives. Things look bigger than we thought. You know, watching women and men come into recovery houses through the years, you know, the first day it's terrible. Maybe the first week it's horrible. And then it's like, I can run through a troop and leap over the wall. Hallelujah. I love recovery. I love to go to church. I love to clean my room. I love all these women in the house. And then a month later, I want to kill every woman in this house. They're driving me. They didn't ever say kill, but I'm just done. Because the rubbish, everyone say rubbish. When we do something for the Lord, everyone thinks that sounds great until we say, yeah, we're going to clean all these tables and these chairs. Okay, well, I got to go. Um, we're we're going we're gonna to work on the scene. Okay, I got something else to do because everything is more work. Can I get an amen? Then it looks like it's going to be. It's the same thing, whether it's things inside of us. So the rubbish was big and say they were overwhelmed. Say they were tired. Sometimes you just get tired of dealing with the rubbish. But number seven, when external conflict is not productive, the enemy will move to internal conflict. Um, we, I was laughing telling someone the other day because we've been doing some planning for the future. I'll leave that right there for now since it's being recorded. And I was laughing about how some churches have split over the color of the carpet. You know, they were building a new church, and then half the church thought it should be burgundy. The other thought, like, one to bright purple. <laughs> and the church was split over it. Because sometimes, you know, external things that come from you from the outside, everyone say outside. So when Sanballat and Tobiah was pushing from the outside, they were gathering together. They were together saying, you know, kind of like, uh, what do you call that when you huddle? They were huddling together. They were pulling together. But then when the internal conflict came in, and these, it said that the Jewish people came and told us 10 times. Someone say 10 times. I love this. They came to Nehemiah and 10 times said, they're going to kill us. 10 times they came, not just once, not just two, but 10 times. It got to the point that Israel itself, now this is so important. If they did not rebuild Jerusalem, if their vision did not come to pass, Jesus Christ not only would not have had a place to walk in and heal and be crucified, but also he'd had no place to step his foot on when he comes a second time because he's going to step on Jerusalem. If they had not done their part, I want to ask you tonight, what is God entrusting to you? If you don't do it, will be the result. There's something for each one of us. With times we think we're feeble, we think we can't do this, and then we get into internal conflict, and he gets on my nerves, and she drives me crazy, and 
and I just wish they didn't worship with me, you know, um, all these things. No, no one thinks that. I'm just, I'm presenting things in other churches that go on, not in this church. Someone say not in this church. Give yourself a hand because you are awesome. Trying to keep this light. But the thing is internal. I mean, it's true. You ever, we, I know I've used this before, but you go on a long trip with people, you thought you really liked them. Like the fourth day, I just, I just need some time with the Lord. Y'all just go ahead and one of us has to sacrifice and pray. It's going to be me. Yeah, you have the way home from youth camp, yeah. Um, because internal, even with our church body, um, we're such a, a beautiful family and our Wednesday night is the core of our community. That's when my, el- my board of regents now, what we call them, talk to me. They say, what about Wednesday night? I said, that's oh, the core. That's the community. That's the people that don't have to come, but they come. Come on, somebody. And we're a community. But internal, when things, and we start getting on each other's nerves, it's going to happen. If you're human, you're going to get on your, I get on my own nerve. Can I get a witness? I don't even need anybody. I just need a break from myself sometime, Lord. Is there somewhere I can go away from me for a little bit? That's when you, that's when you binge watch something, isn't the truth? <laughs> I'm going to get my mind off of myself. <laughs> and just get lost in Downton Abbey or whatever your thing is. I'm just going to get lost because it just happens. The thing on your paper says, I don't know how we got into this being a comedy thing or not, but don't quit. Someone say, don't quit. quit. Think ahead to what could be if you persevere. And in those times that internal conflict comes on, remember what it says on your paper, not the box, the big thing. The Lord's work in our lives is an open rebuke to the enemy. Pam, when we just walk upon the earth, it is a rebuke to the enemy. Satan thought he had me. He, my, my life was, can't remember the words, my life was over. He turned it. Okay. I, <laughs> I missed half the words, but hey, give me a 10 for effort, my people. Know where that came from. But it is, it's an open rebuke. On your worst day, listen to me. And those voices in your head, I'm just talking about, we all have voices in our head that are saying this about you and that and making you compare yourself to other people. You're not a warrior. You know, you're a wimp. I could take this on, but we'll go into next week with that. All those voices, you merely existing is an open rebuke to the enemy. Jesus saved you at Calvary. When you accept him as Lord, that was a done deal. Someone give the Lord a hand clap of praise. And we're almost done. We're almost there. Whoop, shucking the corn here. The box on your paper says, God promised to all believers that as his task for us will not be accomplished by mere human resources, not by might. In the uh, Hebrew, hayel, which means wealth or prominence, nor by power, kawah, strength or ability, but we shall accomplish the Lord's work by his power. Someone say his power. The supernatural enabling of his grace his wisdom and his strength. Nehemiah realized he had to have God's grace and strength. He had enemies. He had people with internal conflict. They were mad at each other. 
These enemies were affecting his people, and he had a vision. And that's why he kept saying, remember the Lord. One of my favorite verses ever is the one that that comes from, Zechariah 4. For the Lord says, not by might, nor by power, not by your might, not by your power, not by your ability, not by your cuteness, not by your genius, not by your hard work, not by this or that, but by my Holy Spirit shall I bring it forth. Come on, somebody give God a hand clap of praise. So, um, Josh, can you come up and, and play with me? Give Josh a hand. He had to come in late because of work. And we're almost done. Just hang with me. So what happens if you look up just for a moment and we'll, 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 we'll get there to where we need to be to end. What happens at the end of Nehemiah 4, I told you it's like a whole semester. So the conflicts are going on. The accusers and their accusations are getting stronger and stronger. Nehemiah is pushing forth as an extraordinary leader to cast the vision Remember what God has done for us. We didn't get here by ourselves. He's talking to them. He's trying to convince them you are making a difference. A fox is not going to knock down your wall, which means what God does through you will last for eternity. Can I get an amen? As little as it might look on this earth, some things I've done I think are just so little. They're just so tiny. But the Lord reminds me those things will live on through eternity. Even just encouraging someone, is that not cool? Will live on for eternity. So, the enemies are approaching. You know, this whole chapter is like this. Nehemiah, it's, it's really kind of whack-a-mole. Nehemiah, like, gets this taken care of. Then this happens. He takes care of that. He and the Holy Spirit, then this happens. Then this happens. You know, like, when's the blue skies coming out? Anybody with me? He keeps taking care of it. But then they begin to approach. And Nehemiah does something so powerful. Watch me. There's only part of the wall that's been built up, and it's the high wall. Everyone say the high wall. And I've done a whole sermon on this right here, and I'm not going to, but just watch this one moment. He puts the families together on the high wall. That's the place that's finished. Everyone say finished. Now then on the lower wall, he puts the sentries with guards, with weapons and a tool. What happens is when Sinballat and that whole big crew and the Samaria army, and they get ready to cross the plain, and they see... The people on the high wall would be like you and me. They're like, oh, I, just, just, just play it on out here. Enemy would say, I know Rhonda Davis. She's nothing. I know her. I know her weakness. I'm in the boxing ring. I, I know what buttons to push on her. I'm just going to punch this and then punch that. She'll be down the floor, not doing her destiny. We got this. And that's what Sinballat and Tobiah thought and the armies when they saw the people of Israel just standing up here trying to hold their families together. We got this. We got this. We're going to conquer them. But the closer they got, and the reason that they turned around is when they got closer, according to historians, on the lower wall, they saw the guards with the weapons. It's kind of like this. Us and the angels of the Lord. Us and the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, number eight, and I'll take on this illustration one more step. Holy Spirit positions himself on the lower, weaker, exposed parts of our faith so that when the enemy approaches, Holy Spirit is who he sees, fiercely guarding your faith in every gap of the wall. Watch me if, after you write that, if you don't mind, please, brothers and sisters. This is what's finished, so he lets us stand here. But we say, Holy Spirit, I've got some gaps. I'm dealing with a big, I'm sorry. 
but I'm dealing with a big disappointment here. I don't understand why this happened to me. Holy Spirit, right here, I don't understand why I was betrayed. I'm just trying to fill in some general blanks. Right here, this is not built up yet enough. I don't feel strong in this. My insecurity is really pressing in on me right here, Holy Spirit. I don't think I can defend the enemy right here. Holy Spirit, I'm so mad. I'm so mad. I don't know whether to be mad at you or mad at whomever. I'm just mad about things in my life. I'm frustrated, Holy Spirit, because of the battles. I thought when I see other people, and again, I'm not speaking about me or you. I'm just being general. Why I've had to fight battles that they haven't. Why was I born with this battle and they weren't? I don't understand that, Holy Spirit. And he says, that's okay. You stand where your faith doesn't have gaps, where you feel strong. You stand up here where you feel, not feel, but where you are confident that this this gap has been closed. And I'll stand in the weak places. I'll stand in the exposed places. I'll stand where the gap is. I'll be your defense. You defend what's already been done. Paul said, stand fast in the liberty in which Christ has called you. Hold the line of what you have freedom in. But where you don't, where you are tempted, where these things are happening, Holy Spirit says, you know what? You let me stand in the gaps in those places. And when the enemy approaches you, he's not going to see you. He's going to see me. And that's going to make him back up because I am the Lord. And that is my name. Somebody praise him. Hallelujah. And leaving that right where it has to go. Underneath that, it says, which is one of my most, some of you have seen me do this with people. It's one of my favorite. When I discovered this about Nehemiah years ago, it just wrecked me. Whenever you hear the sound of the trumpet, someone say sound of the trumpet. This is so cool. It says rally to us there. Watch this. Because he says our God will fight for us. Someone say our God will fight for us. This is what he said. Watch me. He said this is like our church. Because we're so spread out. Some of you work different places. We, We don't all live in a commune the last time I checked. We all live in different houses, different parts of this community, maybe even different cities. But when the trumpet sounds, and I'm not talking about that trumpet. I'm talking about the rallying trumpet. When the trumpet sounds in the church, Joanne is going into surgery tomorrow. Rally with us here. The trumpet sounds for Sunday morning and Wednesday night. Come and rally together. We're spread out in our own homes. And thank God we don't live together. Someone give the Lord a hand clap of praise. We have our own homes. When you hear the trumpet sound, rally here. When we say we need someone to help Pastor Todd with the ceiling, come rally here. We say we need workers for Esther, our queen for a day. Or we need someone to help in children's ministries. Rally here. The sound of the trumpet is God's rallying call to his people because they were spread out. So Nehemiah kept the trumpet player. I don't know if you caught that in the readout. He said the trumpet player was by me at all times. Boy, I'd love to have been that trumpet player. How cool. And whenever there was a rally call, the trumpeter would trumpet out and sound out the alarm. That's where we got the song, They Rush on the City blow the trumpet in Zion, and rally together. Listen, God sends that call out to the communities of faith all over the world in the body of Christ. That's why 
I believe that heaven, Cheryl, sounded a rally for Ukraine. I mean, I've never seen so many people pray over one nation. Well, we did with Afghanistan, but this is a little bit even different because they're being marched in on by somebody in a different way. But it's like a trumpet has sounded. And the body of Christ all over the world has responded and prayed. When we rally a call, the intercessors are my first line of defense. When anybody in the body tells me a need, the intercessors are on a text. Mama Linda will tell you true and others I won't mention in this room. And I will send a text, so-and-so is going to surgery. So-and-so has a court date tomorrow. So-and-so, that's a rally call. That's when we gather and we rally, even in our individual homes, and we say, Father God, go before that person that's going to have a surgery. Lord, touch the surgeon's hands. Lord, do what only you can do. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Rally call. And number, number nine, this is where we, Sunday morning, before I give it to you, because I'm going to pray. Sunday morning is where this picks up because Sunday morning is our 32-year anniversary and you're going to see a demonstration of us building harvest in a, a very small way through the years with what God did right here. Harvest has been known to be a place that was rebuilt from the burnt places in people's lives. The charred moments. Have you ever gone to a, a place that's been burnt and you see the ashes? God redeems the ashes the word for that is ephor, and when you turn it around, it's amazing. It gives forth beauty. So what they said in the beginning, before we end, track with me, and I'll give you that word. The accuser said, are you going to pick up stones? I mean, you brought that lumber, but you don't have any other way to fix this project. You don't have enough. Are you going to rebuild with burnt stones that already went through the fire when Nebuchadnezzar destroyed this place? You're picking up burnt stones and you're rebuilding a city? Yes, that's exactly what God intended because God was going to paint a picture that through the blood of Jesus... He picks up the broken, the hurt places, the places where we felt destroyed. And 2 Corinthians 1 said, He comforts us in our trouble so we can comfort others with the same trouble. He said in 1 Peter 1 and 7, Your faith is precious. When it comes through the fire, it's pure gold. Someone say pure gold. So Holy Spirit, number nine, takes our charred moments. I should put an S there to rebuild our lives and the lives of others that are following in our footsteps. Okay, look up. Let me pray with you. Here's the deal. We'll go a little bit over tonight, but this was the, the big one. I cut out so much. Trust me. Listen to me this in this way. He comes and he takes. He comes and he takes the burnt places and he restored. This church, you'll see this Sunday morning, was started by two people, Hank and Rhonda Davis who had been through the fire and whose lives looked like they were destroyed and over. But the mercy of Jesus Christ picked us up and redeemed us. And it was those two burnt stones that came to this property with a little girl named Courtney and began to build this work called Church of the Harvest. And everyone in this room, the Lord goes back through all of the brokenness and that's what he wants to build. God's not looking for the best, most expensive material. He's looking for the material, Linda Chapman, that's been tried through the fire and come to the other side. He's looking for the material that's humble and pliable in his hands and say, I know whatever I've gone through, my pain will not be wasted. Give Jesus one more hand and I'm done.
So your closing box, when you evaluate the words of the critic in light of your finite resources, it can be overwhelming. But when criticism is held up against the backdrop of God's infinite resources and omniscience, it loses its power. Your anxiety level will decrease. Your passion will be rekindled. And you will find the strength. Yes, Lord, you've done it so many times for me to put your hand once again to the good work that God's called you to. Every eye is closed. Father, thank you for your word tonight. Thank you for chapter four. Woo! You put a lot in there, Holy Spirit, when you inspired Nehemiah to write it all down. It's a whole semester, but God, I pray my brothers and sisters were able to receive through the humor I didn't anticipate and through the words and the pictures, things for their life, Lord. Above all, Lord God, let us learn to deal with those accusing thoughts in our head and to know that the enemy wouldn't be accusing us if we weren't making a difference. Lord, let us see the rubble of our lives turn to revival. We pray in the next age of this church that from the rubble we'll see even more revival because we're going to remember the Lord who is great and awesome. We didn't get here by ourselves, and we won't get to the next place by ourselves. But Lord, we pray you would raise us up as living stones that not only glorify you, Jesus Christ, but we bring hope and light to hurting people. Build this church, Lord, that we may be a place for more broken people to come. Energize every one of my friends in this room tonight, God. What you've called them to do, don't let them give it up, Lord, but let them stay persevering every step of the way. In Jesus' name, I pray. And everyone said, amen, amen. All right, all right.